You're listening to Proropod. Welcome as we, Portia the lifelong fan and Amanda the first time reader, discover the books of Agatha Christie. We are sisters who live on opposite ends of the U.S. doing a quarantine project and who love to be soothed by British murder mysteries. In this shithole of a moment in history, it's nice to have Poirot or Miss Marple solve it all. For- Welcome to the Poiropod. <laughs> Poiropod. Um, we are doing it on Agatha Christie's fifth book, um, The Secret of Chimneys, published in 1925 we are and um i have to tell you considering the time that we're recording this in that that first of all no not even first of all among it's not a list it's not a it's not a hierarchy it's just things right first thing is i love this book and i think i figured out why i like it better than the one that you love man in the brown hat because it's a comedy like the writing is comedic. Even when she explains, like describes the different characters, like she's it's a comedy. Oh, I never thought of it that way. Like okay. she describes the you know the lord of the house and like the way that he like says, "I don't want any of this food. I want poached eggs." And the poached eggs company. He's like, "I don't like. I don't even like poached eggs. Why did you bring these to me?" Like it's like it's a comedy. It's kind of a farce, and so like I like. I feel like that that's why it's my favorite because it's it's a comedy. Right. Okay, that makes sense. My second thought is I just have to share with you and our listeners that like I'm struggling. I'm struggling with our podcast because when we set out on this, I had the impression of the Agatha Christie's that were like, you know, made into movies or like made into the shows in the 90s or whatever. And like, I didn't know how much like the racism was like sprinkled throughout and like i especially in you know year of our overlord 2020 it's rough it's rough to like be like oh did you get a black wife in africa oh no nothing like that <laughs> and you're just like, right. mm-hmm. I, like but the weird like, part was and it's like- tough to just brush past all the not even microaggressions but just like he was a C word referring to Chinese people. He was uh, like, there's just like a lot of things like that. Or like, well, we all know that Italians do this and like, you know, Swedes do that. So that's how I knew. And that's how they like, and I get that it was a different time, but we also know that American racism is the psychopathic grandchild of, of British racism. And so it's just like, it's, it's hurting my head a little bit to read it right now. And like, and the books are so good and there's a lot of racism in them. And so it's just, it's hurting my brain. (laughs) absolutely and you know i think that's one of the major themes in this is that they keep talking about people being foreigners yeah who is a foreigner is so broad and the stereotypes you know because they said when there's a scene when the boris hands we didn't talk about the plot yet but um but there's a scene where they somebody hands somebody something and said the foreign person dropped it. And then he spends a whole bunch of time trying to figure out which one right. the foreign He person. pretends to know what that means, but then that could be like the French guy or the Eastern European guys or... Or they even say that the 
guy who works for British Oil, but because he's big, and when her description of him sounded very much like Jabba the Hutt, you know, like Herman Isaacson, he was foreign looking, or right. the American, like the right. the um one of the things, and I, I remember um, kind of noticing in this, um, even reading them growing up about this idea that how insular British society can be. Right. And it's interesting because I think as an author, she at some point is commenting on that and sometimes participating in it. Right. And I feel like a lot of times she is, is sort of saying like, look at the way we see everyone as foreign. You say the foreign gentleman, you're like, oh yes, of course. And then you're like, which one? Because everyone's foreign to me because I'm so insular. But then I feel like a lot of the like racial stuff she works in without commenting on so it doesn't feel like the audience is in on a comment on that it feels like it's the author saying that and like you know i'm like desperately looking for it to be a commentary and then it's not right and And yeah we on the book that we didn't do the praro investigates where she definitely does a lot of stuff about asian people that wasn't so much in this one but um she uh sometimes plays on people's prejudices as part of like setting up they're the bad guy but then it turns out it's the you know which is something that i've seen in because i'm a consumer of more recent british murder stuff so like father brown and midsummer murders they always do that that's a trope with them they'll like set up the other the brown person the foreigner whatever to be the likely suspect and then it never is so right. I, I was like looking for that as a trope, which I appreciate because there's so much media to the contrary. But so, yeah, she kind of does that sometimes. She she, know, she hasn't so far made the person who's foreign or other or whatever be the actual bad guy. They just have a lot of like terrible right. things that they say. And what's interesting about the um, because unlike well, the, Africa is in this but barely it's not like the man in the brown suit because it starts out in africa um and then then the rest of it right. is in England. um so that weird thing at the end that would you know like you've gone and married a black woman from africa you know uh which was so out of left field because it you know because we hadn't been talking about africa at all and it was so one of those like what just happened you know um and so it's an interesting and you could see why from that perspective why they said that because he spent time in africa and he had a secret wife so like was the secret wife black and then instead of i don't know but then he's like oh god nothing like that or nothing as bad as that he i think i think the actual quote is something as bad as that and then he's got a secret wife who's a british you know aristocrat so it's fine But right. it's just like, ooh, right, like yeah. it's just, oh, yeah. So, um, yeah. so anyways, I just want to say that I just had to like get that Absolutely. off my because I get further into this Agatha Christie journey. I think I didn't know how much I was going to have to like, you know, put a blind eye to. And now that like literally we're all being encouraged to stop putting blind eyes to things, I'm just like, I don't want to do it anymore. Right. And again, you know, depending on how, if we're going to do get into the 30s and the 40s, even I think that even that kind of insular racism gets 
let's say, less and less in vogue as people in England start to go, hey, what the heck is Germany doing? You know, like, I think there is more awareness on that part. I know by... But it's so weird to me then because I happened to skip ahead and read air quotes and then there were none and knowing what the original title of that was that like and that was like much later the fact that she made that choice and knows that it wasn't published in america that way because they knew it was offensive in america but she still chose to have it published in english england that way it's like like why would you like metaphor for people that don't matter like if you use the word n-word to be like if, if that's how you see the world, people that don't matter, then that's what the, that's how it works as an analogy in the book and she didn't want to give that up. But like, it's powerful that like, they knew it was offensive to America so they didn't publish this as America. And I don't know if they did it as 10 little Indians, excuse my, or if they did it then we're not, they must have done it as 10 little Indians originally in America and then changed everything to then we're not. Yeah, I wish that book was earlier so you could excuse it more but it's later so you're like mm, right. you knew right. someone yeah. you knew that this would offend someone <laughs> right, and you didn't right. Care. yeah well okay so okay let's- so back to this book now that we're here i just had to get that off my chest because totally totally because it is you know we and we you know like all of the things as we kind of go back and look at the people that we look up to and admire and and then be like whoa you know like is this a product of your time? Is this, you know, you know, how much is it, um, how much, you know, should we forgive her because it was 1925 and she was an insular British lady? Um, or should we say, no, you could have been doing better because if you had gone to Paris in the twenties, um, there was a huge African-American contingent of artists who had uh, Josephine Baker was performing in Paris in the right. 20s. And we know time. that um, the man in the brown suit was written after she'd been to Africa. So she's of the world at this point. Right. And she's just seeing it from a British lens being like these people whose land I am on are other and it's really our land. And you know what I mean? Like that whole right. perspective, like when she was writing in the man in the brown suit, she does, she criticizes, uh, or Anne, the character of Anne criticizes the woman she was staying with for being so insular. Remember where she was mm-hmm. like, they never go anywhere except for the Riviera. And then they complain that not everybody speaks English. Right. And so she, she criticized was, them for not wanting to travel. Right. And not wanting to experience the world as it is. Right. Like, why isn't everybody very British you know so she was critical of that but she also is a British lady who who went to Africa but experienced it in a British way where like to her a man of Rhodesia is a white man of Rhodesia (laughs) like it took me so long in the book I was so confused because she was like oh he's the typical man of Rhodesia and then you figure out he's a British guy right Right, who lives yeah, in so, Rhodesia. And you're like, okay, so the typical man in her world for you, like a typical man of Rhodesia is this white guy that lives there. Yeah, and what's interesting, so getting into the story, when we meet Anthony Cade for the first time, he could have been anywhere. Right. Just as long as it was. Yeah, they didn't give the setting. We know that it was in South Africa. Was it South Africa or somewhere in Africa? It's they barely cover it. Because they're talking about giving tours and looking at Rhodes' grave, which would have been in... Um, 
Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe. So that's right. in Southern Africa. Yeah. So, so yeah, but, so we, we know he's in Africa, but like, yeah, the, the setting barely has anything. It's just that he's dealing with a bunch of British tourists. And he's a tour guide. Yeah. British tourists. Um, and that's the only important part that, you know, and then that random thing at the end where he says, I have a secret wife and they go, oh God, what if it's a, you know, black wife from Africa? And you're like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> that one bothers me every time because it just feels so like out of the blue you know but um it, but it shouldn't be well and to me it doesn't bother me that people ask him that because to me he's the person we're identifying with so i don't mind when people ask him oh because that's that's a true reaction but when the protagonist that we're identifying with says nothing as bad as that i'm like no like i just i just wanted him to not say that i just wanted him to say something like aha but it were and then but then introduced his aristocratic white wife but like right the way he said nothing as bad as that um just hurt my feelings right yeah and i understand that like again i'm seeing this from today at that time but like i can't help seeing it from today you know that's where i am yeah of course not yeah and then knowing that and like and knowing that like all of that was at the time when colonialism and colorism and all that was like literally like actively distributing itself like it oh yeah it's, it wasn't just like oh they just happened to like be that way but it's like every statement and every movement and every judgment per- perpetuates that right and what's interesting is, yeah because of course you know we don't hear anything about the tourism that he's doing uh, except for the fact that he's, but he talks about visiting Rhodes' grave, and he was a British guy who came and said, "This is my land." And is that who was, Rhodesia was named for? Yeah, uh, a British of course. guy named Rhodes. And so one of the things is it, that he mentions doing is going to visit Rhodes' grave. You know, and um, so see, um, this is why I'm doing this. Doing this for my sister because she knows stuff. I work in medicine and I don't know any of this stuff. So she knows all the world history and she's so smart. <laughs> Not all of it, but yeah. No, but that's what I'm like. I don't know the history of like when Zimbabwe and Rhodesia and all that. I don't know that. Yeah. And like most African countries got their um, independence um, in the, this started in the 50s, 60s, and the last one was in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Like 1980, I think, was Angola. Um, so this is, and they had been colonized in the late 1800s. So they've been colonized for about 30 to 40 years. So, you know, our lifetime ish. Right. So not more, you know, less than a generation at this point had been colonized. And then within, you know, the next, um, 30 years, they will be, uh, getting their independence um but this is like yeah this is so this is kind of right in the middle of colonization interesting um and it's after world war one when african troops you know had to fight for the people who colonized them um before world war ii when um people started going oh hey maybe we shouldn't be so awful because you know because it's kind of reminding us of um, <laughs> those bad those guys. Other, yeah. Um, 
but you know it wasn't until the 50s and it was some people in uh, Kenya who were basically doing protests that turned violent um, in the 50s in Kenya that got their independence from Britain and they had to fight they had to like and a lot of them were accused of being you know terrorists so right um so but yeah so this is kind of right in the middle of that but what's what's really interesting about that first chapter is how there are no africans in it that's why i said it doesn't even matter that he's in africa he could be in right and isn't that interesting like and and not to get too political but like now that you're saying that like how many times do people have that experience in the states where you're like i could be in dc in a gentrified neighborhood that's mostly yeah. black, but I'm at this restaurant that serves me and my, you know, liberal white gay friends. And, and you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter what city we're in. doesn't matter whatever. It could be in London. It could be right. in D.C. It could be anywhere. But we're all interacting with each other in this backdrop of diversity. Right. Well, or yeah, like when I traveled in uh, some places in the Southwest, um, I've been to Texas and Arizona and Colorado and um, there are times when it's, or, and, and in Southern California, where it's just like a strip mall that has an Applebee's and a, <laughs> oh, that too. And a thing and the, and you're like, how is this different from the strip mall in Arizona or the strip mall in Colorado or the strip mall in Texas, you know, like where I'm looking for anything that indicates that where there's anything interesting going on like yeah see and that's interesting because i think you would say it both ways like you're saying in the way that like the corporate america where there's like a best buy and applebee's and a red robin which we've all i know exactly what you're talking about and i'm saying it in the gentrifier way where it's like oh this is the posh new blah 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 but it's the same hipsters in the same city or whatever at the same you know black neighborhood in the black drop that's been uh gentrified but like it's so interesting because like when i visited um el paso um I was so bored for a while because it was just like, okay, we're staying in a suburb and we're, everything looks like a suburb. And I had the same experience in San Antonio. So I get it. (laughs) And then I finally go to a taqueria and then visited some, um, uh, traditional Mexican churches and started to like get to the stuff that actually was different from say here. And I'm like, well, this makes it interesting. But it was like, when I'm just going, to you know then i'm like except for the fact that it's freaking hot i'm not how is right. this you know like right I, it could be it's, any it's, suburb usa so that's why it reminded me of the c- criticism that she had of the british tourists or of that scene in the very beginning of this book where the british tourists are like we need to go have our tea you know because looking for their home traditions in they're another looking place for the right food that they would want that they would have at home, you know? Right. And like, right. Well, then why did you go to Southern Africa if you're going to say, well, I have to have my afternoon tea? Right. Or, you know, or. But again, they weren't there to experience the foods or traditions of the people who live there. They were there to experience what it was like to be British there. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so this so getting into the plot. So now we're kind okay, of okay. So now we're getting okay. So we're moving on so from Amanda's feelings <laughs> into Anthony Cade, who meets his friend Jimmy Jimmy McGrath, McGrath, who's a Canadian, 
Um, and we don't know how these guys know each other. We never did find out. We never found how out. They knew each other. But they clearly um, know each other well. And and Anthony is giving tours to old biddies, old British and, biddies, and like making them feel good and kind of flirting with him because he's clearly a handsome guy. Right. And it's they do kind of when um it, her little thing about like his job was to um be nice to the other people and then flirt with everybody who was under 40 um and um and then he said that last part was um made easy by the fact that um they would look and hear something naughty from the most innocent of phrases um and so i thought that was kind of funny that that was like it is kind of going with the idea that this is a comedy like that he's just like all he has to do is go well i'm sure that your parents appreciate you and then and then they go <laughs> you know like, i mean yeah i mean that's what, it starts off it's literally a comedy with these like british ladies who are like oh mr kane i can't believe you'd say that and he was just like would you like to have tea and she's like oh you are so flirting with me and he's just like oh my god right right so yeah so uh, there's so many moments like that that are you could just picture them she does a really good job of describing them so the premise of the the premise of the adventure is actually kind of ludicrous right so <laughs> jimmy was in paris and he helped rescue this old guy from people trying to beat him oh up. can i and say then- a couple of trends i noticed agatha christie wise so first yeah. of all, she likes to tease characters by telling them like to write a memoir calling blank I have done. Cause right. they're like, Jimmy's telling this story and she's like, and Anthony's like, why don't you just write a memoir called lives I have saved. Right. Right. And Which then- is funny. Cause I, she definitely did that in another book. I can't remember what it was, but like another thing that was like secretaries I have had in the man in the brown suit. Right. So like, I feel like that was a trope and I don't think, any of her books so far have not self-referenced to miss to detective stories or it's like that in books. And I kind of like that. I kind of like that every time she's like, I'm writing a detective story. This is the way it goes in books. And she does a little nod to it every time. And I think on one hand, it's kind of like self-depreciating and she should just let it go. I feel like it's a very woman behavior to be like, I get that this is a novel and like you understand this. Like, I feel like it's a little bit self-depreciating, but it's also funny because she's right. just like, we both know that this is fiction. We all know this is fiction. So I'm going to like nod to that because you've read Sherlock Holmes. Like, I just feel like she's like giving a little bit more power to the audience and like nodding right. to the audience. And so I like that. She always does that. And then when she has these characters doing these grandiose stories and then it's like, why don't you write a book called lives I have saved? Like, I like right. that, but I, I noticed that as a, as a pull through the other books right. we've read. And then she comments on the fact that, so there were two things that Jimmy was asking Anthony to do. One was the old guy he had saved, uh, Jimmy had saved, turned out to be an important old politician from Herzl's of Lockia, which is not a real place. Um in the Balkans, but it's Balkan-ish. did you Google that? I didn't look it up, but I, I didn't think it was a real place. Yeah, 
Croatia. Bosnia. But there was a lot of former Balkan states, right? Right. So Bulgaria, Romania, Serbia, Macedonia, um, Albania, Montenegro, um, Bosnia and Herzegovina. So oh, shoot. I don't even have uh, Slovenia and Croatia. But there used to be a Czechoslovakia. And um, it covered a bunch of those. So, like, it's... Wait, and these are different than the former Russian republics, right? Right, right. The Balkans... Because these broke up before... Because Yugoslavia broke up before the USSR did, right? Yeah, and um, uh, the... These guys are also known for being, as they said, crazy, and they like to kill their king... And one of the reasons they were talking about this in 1925, it was literally somebody from Serbia who killed um, the leader of the Austro-Hungarian Empire and started World War One back in 1914, which was only 11 years before this book was born. Book was born. Book was written. <laughs> <laughs> you must be an author. And you're like, yes, that's how it feels. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, so like it was a Serbian that started World War One, And so there. I didn't know that. Were, yeah. Um, and then they were a hot mess because um, they were calling for like a second in the 80s. They hosted the Winter Olympics and they were all under Yugoslavia and it was like, yay. But then by the early 90s, they were hot mess and they did a genocide against all the Muslim people. And that's when um, uh, in the Clinton administration. Wait, um, is that Bosnia times? We knew all were aware of that. Right. Um, because it was basically like the Yugoslavia was under the control of the Soviets and the Soviets were trying to like, you know, authoritarian states tend to like make sure that nobody does anything um so one I mean like soviet... now in the united states yeah um but so once the soviets were gone then they all kind of went i've always hated you um right uh so then you know they started killing each other and there was some horrible things But, um, Wait, ethnic cleansing and things like that? Yes, exactly. So, um, anyway, so when you want to make up a um, Bosnian state that has a history of having political borders change and leaders change all the time, it's pretty easy because that's been going on for a while. Right. Okay, that makes sense. And so Herzegovina sounds like one of them, right? What's fascinating to me, um, and spoilers, the book is 90, 95 years old, so, you know, but it turns out that Anthony Cade, who comes, who uh, presents himself as a Englishman the whole time, including calling people foreigners and talking about Herzegovina. And like making fun race. of them, like the guy from them with a long name that starts with L, he calls him lollipop. Like, he makes fun of their language. He makes fun of everything. And then it turns out he is Herzegovaki, and although he has a, an English mom or something. But um, he's, like, their royalty, and, yeah, that's his native language. 
and he's it's he's heir to the throne. Right. So um so it's kind of funny because like yeah, cuz he even calls the one who's a Slovakian his dog. Um yeah, I had feelings he, about that, but then I didn't know where to file them, so I was like, eh. <laughs> I mean, cuz he was calling the guy a dog because he was so like being a loyal servant and as the reader so far we don't know that he understands that you're the crown prince of made up country um but he's like oh he's just like a dog and you're just like that seems racist but i guess you guys are the same race so maybe it's just classist i don't know where to file this yeah i think it's classist and it's interesting because his description of the guy was a big big bulky blonde guy right so uh which yeah anyway okay so we're jumping so, around we are so um Anthony and uh, decides to take on these jobs. He's supposed to deliver the memoirs of this old guy um, to publishers in London. And then he's also supposed to um, put the um, the blackmail letters. The blackmail letters that have a woman's name that he had gotten um, that Jimmy had gotten and give it to her so she couldn't wouldn't have to be blackmailed anymore. Um, now it's funny because by the time they're kind of resolving all the issues at the end, superintendent battle, which who I forgot to write down as a character, um, was like, it's a remarkable coincidence that you had both of those things. Right. And Anthony's like, oh, I know. And I'm like, that's your whole thing, Agatha, who wrote the book, like both of those things, you know, and then both of them, he happens to be the crown prince of Hersleth. Slovakia and his homie this happens to have two vital things about her Slovakia in his possession like oh one these memoirs and two these letters that I don't know are related you don't know are related but are totally related both to your country yeah and so yeah the fact that later they're like that's a remarkable coincidence and it's like well yeah that's kind of the whole premise of the book is this remarkable coincidence so and then they also bring up um Jimmy and Anthony bring up for no reason and they kind of talk about it for no reason we have a master criminal again we have another master criminal um but she's getting better at master criminals because like he just likes to steal stuff and get right. ladies to help him steal stuff he's right. not like in it for narcissism or in it for you know right. or he do- and he doesn't have a double he's not in for Instagram likes he's just in it for money right <laughs> so but but he's got a grandiose name which is king victor which is you know um but and then they we get into this history thing which apparently back in the day hertz of Slovakia had a king and he fell in love with an actress um which um pissed off a bunch of people because she wasn't of royal blood and they, they faked it. They tried to pretend she was of royal blood. So when the people found out, they rioted and killed them both. But also maybe when they say they, they rioted and killed them both, you know, let's think about the Russian Revolution was in 1917. And I'm trying to figure out um, how many years before this, you know, was it five years earlier? Was it 10 years earlier? You know what I mean? Like, was this? But the king um, had fallen in love with this woman who's an actress and they faked it. And then they, there was a revolution against them. 
but he also might have just been a terrible king and an idiot who you know because apparently and or both things can be true true yeah like it could be that he was terrible like it's like it's like trump like He's terrible, but the thing that will bring him down won't be that he's terrible. It'll be something random that people get passionate about. Right, right. Right? Like, it's not that... I mean, he's always been terrible, but, like, he'll go he'll go down for something that's, like, that's the thing that... Okay, sure. Right, totally. <laughs> you married an actress. Okay, that's the thing. But, so the... Um, but this actress, turns out, was working with King Victor... And was stealing. Who is our mastermind? We didn't name that, but King Victor is the mastermind jewel thief. Not a king. IRL. Just goes by king. Um, So, yeah. Anthony and Jimmy talk about him in the opening scene. And it's like, why are we talking about him? He's not at all related. But we find out later that he's been in prison for seven years. And just got out. So... Uh, so anyway, Anthony goes to England to do these two jobs, and then it turns out that the taking the memoirs to the publishers is a harder job than he thought because he gets. I love that one. It was so funny where he's the scene where um, he's like first visited by the Nationalist Party, um, and then visited by the revolutionaries right the the hand of the like, the right. red bloody hand of the iron mask or something, something. Hand, which, <laughs> um again the name of the oh gosh oh history teacher failing me the guy who killed who started world war one had a very similar name and i'm oh my gosh i'm mad at myself for blanking on the name of the um the group um uh shoot what is his name oh well it's gonna come to me but anyway it's very similar to the comrades of the red hand so they're again kind of going hearkening back right but anyway uh so the comrades of the red hand are the ones who killed uh the king and queen back whenever this was i can't figure out if it's five or seven years ago it's not they don't really say no it's recent because yeah, it's 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 not so long ago. Like it's long ago, but not so long ago. Yeah. So. Anyway, so uh, so he's gonna go and do the job. Um, so then we meet uh, Virginia Le- Rebel George Lomax and um, Bill Eversley. So George Lombax is a politician who talks too much. It's hilarious because everyone hates him. And my favorite character has got to be Lord Catterham. Oh my gosh. Which I think is like really poetic because like as a new reader, just coming off the man in the brown suit, you read Lord Catterham and you're like, he's the bad guy because like he's, you know, like he's the same kind of figure that the narrator, the you know, from his memoirs was in man in the brown suit where you're like, he, you know, he's got to be the bad guy. He's he's putting on this show to be this, like, stupid old rich guy who doesn't know what's going on. But no, that's literally who he is. And it, like, follows through the whole plot. But, like, because she's made me not trust narrators and not trust, um, you know, old rich guys that just want to, like, have an easy life. Like, he's very similar to the guy who ends up being the big boss in the last book so you're right. like 
is that this again? And then you're like, ah, no. But like, no, I know he's, he's so likable because he's the worst. Like, he's like, why did you put out this smorgasbord for me? I just want some poached eggs. And they bring him poached eggs. And he's just like, ugh, I can't stand poached eggs. Take these away from me. Who would order these? And they're like, of course, sir. But like literally yeah. it was you two minutes ago who ordered poached eggs. It's fine. Yeah, they're making she makes fun of him because she says that he does it peevishly, you know, like and it's hilarious because he mostly is a lazy rich guy who's like, I don't even want to have the trouble of having um because that's what George Lomax is like. We have to have like a air quotes party at your estate. Because we have to do this diplomacy, but we're going to call it a party. And Lord Catterham is like, I don't want to. That's too much work. Yeah. <laughs> so then, of course, I was like, aha, he's the big bad guy. But no, he's really that guy. He's just like, it's too much work. Yeah. So um, I, I it, he's so funny. Um, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, George wants to do this diplomacy where they're going to bring the new prince because uh Slovakia is going to go from being a republic which is not going well back to having a monarchy they're going to bring in the new prince negotiate oh oh also they have found oil there so everybody wants it right 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 they find oil so um oh yeah the name of the group that killed that started world war Two is called the Black Hand, so comrades of the Red Hand. You know. Oh, okay, so, so the real life one was the Black Hand. Got it. Yeah. So anyway, it's a you know, the Balkans. They're easy to like copy. Uh, anyway, so uh, they you know want to do this diplomacy to set up the new prince with oil company in London so that he can they can start making money off of the oil and support him as he takes back the monarchy in Herzegovina, but they want to do it like super casual, like as a pretending it's a party out in the country right? at chimneys, which is the name of the house. Right. Um, We're doing their lobbying and also getting convincing this guy not to print the manuscript. Right. And they also want to convince him to not turn over the manuscript. Um, but then they, you know, screw up in so many ways um because anthony cade's like no no no, i'm gonna give him the manuscript he figures it out um uh and uh the prince that they were going to negotiate with gets killed on the first night there so you know right 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 so uh so she still has a problem of a bunch of characters and sometimes it's hard to keep straight. And I, I wonder... Yeah, and I, I, I... As a person who struggles with a lot of characters, I... Compared to some other books that I have read ahead a little bit, it's not the worst. Because I was able to, like... If I don't have to take notes that, and from reading in the audiobook, then I know it's okay. Like, I know that, like, it's not so bad. If I can, like, get it without taking any, any notes. But, like, some of the books I have to stop and write it down because, like, who the hell is that? Right. Well, it also helps that she made everybody from a different country. Right. Right. So we had Lord Catterham, Bundle, George, and Bill were the British people. Then we have Lemoine, who was supposed to be French. Detective. Yeah. So he was like a 
Poirot fill in, right? Like he felt very Poirot-y in his description. They even said foppish, which is like I feel like their slur of the day. (laughs) Right. Then we have Hiram Fish, who's the American. Uh, We have Herman Isaacstein, anyway, who's like the oil guy. Um, And then we have Baron Lollipop. And now you are good at picking up the anti-Semitism that I don't know the history enough to pick up on. Did you think with that? I I did notice his name being a Steen. Did you find that that was a, like a specifically Jewish or anti-Semitic character? I wondered because he was supposed to be. Because yeah, I. But did you think no. that was what she was going for there? Yeah, because when they yeah. were like jewelry. Ask the Jewish person. I was like, oh. Right. Yeah, so I wondered about that because he was representing money and power. So that could have been, but... Um, but it's a very specifically Jewish last name, which is interesting, right? I and mean, then she didn't do any right. of those, like, micro things towards anti-Semitism with, like, in the terms of him at all that I noticed. Um, no, but I was kind of keyed into it because of what you had said from the last book. Right, right. And it was interesting because in scenes with him, he doesn't have very many scenes, but um, I remember there was a contrast between George Lombax, who's uh, in the government, and him, and Anthony was like, you could tell which one actually has power, and it's the guy who has oil. Yeah, interesting, right. And and there wasn't, because like in the other book where there was a character like that, they sort of said... Or maybe no, no. I think I'm, I'm I'm skipping ahead too, and then there were none. Where there was sort of like a, you could tell about Jewish people because they're like this, and they're like, Ugh. oh yeah. And I haven't read that one recently, so. Um, but yeah, but I was looking for that when I saw that the last name was Esteen, but like I didn't, I didn't see it. But I was wondering if you picked up on anything that I missed. Not, I'm not sure. I mean, and maybe I would do some careful. Re- uh, it, also, sometimes I tend to tune out the physical descriptions of people unless they are you know fun i don't know right so i don't know how much when she was describing him physically i remember that she said that he was big imposing and big um, right which is not necessarily a stereotype of jewish people that i know right. of yeah i do remember so, that yeah. as well and i was like huh okay so back to trying to keep all the characters straight the fact that they all had different accents and they all came they were all that helped it helps um because it's an interesting question when you're like oh my god it's just a a, a bunch of white people all and then i have a new stereotype which is that like apparently aristocratic english women all have names like bunty because like even in like father brown like i forget the what the the young woman on there is named but like, they're all named things like napkin or foo-foo or like like right, and then, like bunty has like a niece and a nephew or two younger siblings that are named something just as ridiculous like right right so her foofy and papa or like they're just like yeah. her real name is elaine but she goes by bundle bundle yeah and i, I feel like I'm learning that, like, as a well-to-do young woman, you will be given a ridiculous nickname. Right. and Because, uh, like, her two younger sisters' names were, like, that Antony ends up playing with. Their names are, like, 
you know. Oh, yeah. They were ridiculous. Gluck or something? something. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like, okay. So, yeah. so I feel like this is definitely a sign of, cla- of, of their class in some ways, like these ridiculous right. nicknames. And she does a lot of making fun of the aristocrats. She does. I mean, first of all, Lord Catterham is like the laziest. Bill Eversley, she says... He didn't get this job because he was smart. No. He just says that. And that he spends most of his days when George isn't in the office sitting and reading the sports page. Right? Like, yeah, she literally says that. It's so funny. Um, Like, literally, this book is a comedy. It's hilarious. Like, I mean, I guess it's all subtle, but it's like, it made me laugh the whole way through. Right, right. And then, yeah, so they definitely... Because like when you and I talked before recording and I was like telling you I think this was my favorite and you were like, really? Because you love the man in the brown suit and I was just, and I went on rereading it. I was just like, it's a comedy. Like even the narrating, like it's just like in between things. You're just like, like the way that Lord whips his face, like doesn't want to talk to the political guy who wants, like just the way they describe everything. It's just so funny. It is so funny because he's just like, and the way he, they're like, he's just like, just so, just so, like you don't know what the hell to say. Someone just say, just so, just so, so that you'll get out of here, George. Yeah, and, and the uh, uh, oh yes, it's Winkle and Goggle. See, <laughs> Winkle oh. and Goggle and Bundle. Bundle. See, I was like, I guess if you're an aristocratic young lady, you will get a really ridiculous nickname. Because their real names are like Dulcie and something, and Aline Bundle talks about that. Because I think she's like 18 or 19. Yeah. Um, and her sisters are 10 and 12, and uh, apparently their mom is dead. She mentions that. Um, but yeah. Guggle and Winkle. <laughs> What's wrong with Dulcie? I mean, I don't know. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. So we make fun of... Um, yeah, so she does She does make fun of them. A bit. Um, so they're having this diplomatic weekend. Um, but somebody doesn't want Virginia Rebel to go to the diplomatic weekend. Um, and they arrange to have a dead body show up at her house. Right. And she looks at Anthony Cade, who comes up to her to talk to her about the blackmail letters, and trusts him right away to help him hide her hide. Like, body. just completely trust him. Like, I just met you, and it's just like, sure, let's hide a body together. Right. Um. So, it was but what's really interesting? Up- I thought that was one of the major clues. Spoiler alert: to the fact that not just she, but he was of this aristocratic class. Because although we know him as like a traveler and he can't hold down a, you know, normal job, people comment on like one of the inspectors comments on the aristocratic class and how they just do whatever the hell they want. Right. And so while it would seem like if anyone who was middle class would be like, oh, my gosh, I would never do that. I would wonder what the neighbors think. But if you're aristocrat, you just do whatever the hell comes into your head and i feel like anthony acts like that even though 
he's pretending that they're privileged. The fact that he's just like, hey, there's a dead body here. Let's hide it. Like, let's just see what happens. It'll be fun, right? And she's like, totes. <laughs> right. And then, and then you can tell that, like, and then, like, in retrospect, knowing that who he ends up to being, like, you know, a prince and she's an aristocrat. And you're just like, okay, so this is just like, you guys are just like, it's fun. Let's pretend to be blackmailed. It's fun. Let's pretend to hide a body. Like, you're not right. taking anything seriously because you don't really believe there's any repercussions for anything you do. And so it actually helps to explain his behavior because the whole time he just kind of goes along with life. Like, sure, that sounds fun. And you're like, hiding a body sounds fun. Okay. Like, like it doesn't make any sense, but the way that the, the book kind of teaches you that like that upper class will just do whatever the hell right. just to have an Although, experience. He definitely also takes his word and honor very seriously he does he does so because he did say you know I, i've always wanted to um hide a body but you know like then i'd have to kill someone and so that would be bad right he does say that um, but again that's sort of like ingenue attitude towards like but i would hate to kill someone but it'd be great to hide a body like it, it is kind of a tell when you go back and reread it to be yeah, like, oh, yeah. obviously, she's telling us he's of this class that, like, is ridiculous like this. Right, right. So, the everybody's showing up at chimneys at 11.45 on this, you know, opening part of this weekend that was supposed to be about diplomacy. Um, is uh, interesting because we've got everybody there. Now, again, spoiler, it turns out... Anthony's a prince of Herzegovina. There's the other prince of Herzegovina. Who's the one that's killed? Who's the one that's killed? And the person who's like his cousin, right? That should be his cousin, but he's never met him. Maybe apparently, yeah. And then um, the old queen of Herzegovina was there undercover as the governess, and she's the one who killed. Right, she was supposed to be dead, but no. And so, like. There's a lot more about Herzegovina there than we even knew. And then, yeah, so she kills um, Prince Michael because she he sees her. Um, and she and the comrades of the Red Hand were the ones who put the dead body at Virginia Revels because they were like, Virginia Revel could recognize the old queen. And right. Or, no, wait. The comrades of the Red Hand used to work with the old queen because she was working with them. But then when she married the prince. Right. No, she turned on them. She turned on them. So they weren't working together on this. Um, So it wasn't them that did the dead body. It must have been her and King Victor that did the body. But I thought anyway, um, some of the stuff I was like, wait a minute, does that make sense? They never explain who kills the blackmailer and puts it at her house they just know that it was yeah we don't yeah they didn't really get into that but i'm guessing it was her and king victor right that's what i think we're led to assume but they never really get into that they never really get into it so um but anyway that was the whole thing and then um the prince michael had stolen the memoirs from his cousin um which he didn't even know um and Anthony happened to show up at the house at the exact time the murder happened on 
um, eleven forty-five at uh, at at the house. Right, but and it didn't look great. It didn't look great for him. And then, of course, we don't find out till the very end that he was the other heir to the throne. And so he not only was there right at the right time when the murder happened, but also he had a motive. So going to the unreliable narrative the- narrator theme that she likes to do, um, he's a little bit unreliable. I know part- that's starting to piss me off when I'm reading. I'm like, okay, if I can trust the narrator, then like, uh, but like, I, he's only a little bit unreliable. And so like, when you finish the book and you're like, okay, wait, I have to think about this a little harder. Okay. He never really lied to me. He just omitted. Right. He just didn't say where he lived and where he grew up. That's it. And his other name and the fact that like, yeah. But he, um, but like, he didn't lie about everything that he did during the story. He didn't omit things the way that in the man in the brown suit, Eustace Peddler did. Right. Peddler skipped all these things, but yeah. Right. lie to us during the story he just admit omitted his backstory which would have been a big part of it because he had a motive so and then um so they're trying to figure out who killed prince michael and he thinks it's the governess and he was right but he gets distracted and kind of like everybody's accusing everybody else um turns out harem fish was a secret American detective and then it turns out that Lemoine, who was saying he was a French detective, was actually King Victor. So we all had these you know everybody pretending to be something else. Right. And then um, we have a lot of diplomacy Baron I, I wouldn't even know how to say his real name because I saw it written. I don't know if you've seen the actual real name of Aaron Lollipop, but it really was. A Someone pronounced of... it once in the book. So the, the like the audio book, they do pronounce it out loud. Lollipretcha or something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's, it is a ridiculous amount of, I love it when they were like, if you try to pronounce it, it does a hardening of the artery. Yeah. <laughs> like that many consonants in a row will do a hardening of the arteries and that's like that's funny um yeah i was gonna spell it for you but um please do spell it spell it uh where is it l-o-l-o-p-l-o-p-r-e-t-j-z-y-l sure that Lala pretzel i feel like that's what the the you know the the narrator yeah said i don't know but i you could see why uh after lollipop he went lollipop okay and the weird thing is is that we know at the end that anthony is her sublockian so he should be able to say that right making he's kind of making fun of all of the consonants yeah um so uh anyway so that's they're just basically trying to figure out who killed prince michael but it was fairly simple it was the old queen and they didn't even think of that oh 
But then there's this another mystery that comes up, which is the real reason for the letters. And that is one of the biggest diamonds in the world was stolen by King Victor and the Queen back in the day, whenever we're figuring out like five to seven years ago. And hidden at chimneys at this house. So I looked it up. It's a real diamond. That one they were like, it's like a British crown jewel. It is a British crown jewel. It is 180 some carats. Oh my god. And the reason it's called the Kohinoor is that, thank you, colonialism, it's from India. <laughs> and India has been asking for it back. Ugh, of course. So, anyway. So it's a real thing. So they're saying that King Victor, um, with the help of the queen, who was um, an old actress thief person, um, has stolen it. And then the guy whose memoirs, this, you know, the dead politician memoir dude, had found it and it was hidden somewhere in the house. And the letters were not blackmail letters. They were secret codes. Right, right, right. So what we thought was someone's lost love letters was actually a secret code. Um, and then, you know, so they're looking for King Victor. They're looking for the killer of Prince Michael. And they're looking for this missing diamond. So that's like three different mysteries. Yeah. And so the, again, like the coincidences are a little bit fast and furious. <laughs> um, but it dovetails nicely at the end. And Anthony, the, the denouement at the end was amazing. I thought it was really good that Anthony invites everybody there, figures out all of it. And when he's yeah, there, and as a new reader, I did not know where it was all going. I was like, okay, he's not King Victor because he wouldn't be doing this. But like, I don't trust the narrator because of the last book. So I'm like, fuck you, narrator. Are you the bad guy? Are you King Victor? But then he's like bringing everybody in. I'm like, why is he bringing everybody in? Like, I was I, I was confused. So what he did was, he said that he had figured out the code to find the diamond. And Lemoine, who was pretending to be a French detective looking for King Victor, heard the code that Anthony said, wrote a note to the governess. Who was really the actress, former queen, who wasn't killed. And so she could go and look for the diamond while he spent a bunch of time accusing Anthony of being King Victor. Which went on for a while where he's just like going on and on about you must be king victor you must king victor and then finally we hear we're like why is this going on somewhere either say you are or say you aren't like you know yeah like, if we're gonna have the denouement why is this going on so long but then it's like oh this was a trap so that they could catch um the governess who ends up dying because Boris um, and her getting which is wild because she survived so much and then she just died real fast in that scene and you're like but you're everyone thought you were dead and you survived it like I was like okay yeah so um, but that's why then it turns out that Lemoine was actually King Victor and the real Lemoine had been kidnapped Um, so uh, and then it turns out that it was the governess who killed that the um diamond was hidden under some rose bushes 
uh, yeah, so that's how they were able to figure out who killed Prince Michael, right? Where the diamond was, who King Victor was, and they also found the other prince, right? Uh, which is just so much to be happening in one house. It was a lot. a lot. It was yeah. a lot. It was a lot. But you know, there's it is hilarious. But it's that's why I loved it because it's just like the writing is, it's you know. It's very facetious writing. Like, it's funny the whole time. Like, the jokes you're in on and the jokes that, like, you're like, oh, on second reading, you're like, oh, I get it now. Like, it, I don't know. I, th- I thought it was hilarious. And it's true so, that like, it's different than, like, in the Man in the Brown suit where, like, the the protagonist is so ingenue and, like, you relate to her in sort of this, like, adventurous way. But this one, both Antony and the the widow are like you know in that age is they're like late 20s so they're super sophisticated (laughs) they're widows and like super of the world at this point because they're like in their late 20s so they're not ingenue but they're just like but it's still funny like i don't know like i i i i I really and the way she would use the narrative to like describe like not the count. What's his name? The Lord of the Lord Caterham. Yeah, like all of it. Well, like the, his attitude and his response, and like everybody's attitude. Like it was funny. Like the writing is just funny. So here's an example of that. So Anthony is being interviewed by Superintendent Battle the day after the murder when he's trying to be like watching Anthony because he doesn't know this guy. He's like, do I trust him? So underneath the body was a. Um, this symbol of the comrades of the red hand that Anthony had seen because they had come and tried to take the memoirs from him. And so uh, he superintendent battle produced a half sheet of note paper. And as he did so, he again watched Anthony closely without seeming to do so. But Anthony recognized the design upon it without any sign of consternation. Aha comrades of the red hand again. If they're going to scatter this sort of thing about, they ought to have it lithographed. It must be a frightful nuisance doing every one. Right? Like, it's just funny. Right. Like, he's like, instead of like, oh, we're worried about this murderous group of people, he's just like, do they hand draw those? (laughs) And there's so much of that where they're just sort of like commenting on the ridiculous of the situation. Like, it just really made me laugh. Yeah, there was so many. And the. It was him, Virginia, and um, Lord Catterham were my favorite ones. There was also Bill. Bill was also very funny. Oh, Bill was hilarious. Because he's so dull. Because he's, he's like, wants to flirt with Virginia, but obviously clearly goes out, you know, he doesn't, he has a crush on her, and um, but also is like, and she's so funny because she's just like oh stop don't propose to me before breakfast or lunch it's rude like oh her attitude is hilarious oh yeah and so and then he's like really annoyed by um the what he calls the colonial fellow that's what he calls anthony and i I, it's a fascinating thing to call him because it was like because you were living in the colonies you know i'm guessing right so anyway, um, 
Yeah, they even because you we we get um you so mostly it's Anthony's point of view. We do get some Bill. We get some Lord Catterham. Yeah, and actually that was one thing I wanted to talk to you about was because I think when we talk about who the narrator is in different books, we have to remember the person because there's definitely some books that are written in first person, but this one's entirely third person. Well, yeah. Because Anthony is a narrator, but he doesn't speak with his own voice. I think there's a narrator speaking for him, right? Right. He doesn't say I. Right. That's what I'm saying. So, like, whereas in The Man in the Brown Suit, the woman and the one that are excerpts from the diary. No, no, no. The excerpts from the diary are first person, but the woman is third person. Right. And it's interesting, right? right? Like, I think that tells you a lot about how much the narrator can lie to you depending on the person. Right, right. But, like, we get to hear a dream of Bill's one night, which was funny. Right. <laughs> it was so uh, funny. And then, oh, yeah, because they're like, oh, God, that was a hilarious scene. Because for um, Anthony's out trying to see if the governess is really who she says she is. So he's left the house for a night. So Virginia goes to wake up Bill because she hears somebody in the council chamber we now know is looking for the diamond, but we didn't know at the time. So she goes to get Bill to for help. And they have this really weird scene where he's like, I'm going to put on my um, boots with nails in them. And then she says, I like your pajamas. And he says, <laughs> I like that thingy bubby of yours. It's a pretty shade of green. What do you call it? It's not just a dressing gown. And she says, it's a negligee. I'm glad you've led such a pure life. And he goes, <laughs> I have it. And she's like, okay, if you don't know what a negligee is. It's so sweet. And she's like, oh, Bill. So, um, anyway. But then they go down to go try to confront whoever she hears in council <sighs> chamber. And his shoes that he put on to be tough are too loud. Yeah, I she has to take off his shoes and creep. <laughs> yeah, I guess that Chrissy's really good at the like little details that like ruin the scene. Like your shoes are loud, dude. Take them off. Right, right. And then yeah. Uh, so um, uh, anyway, so I think it, this book is fun. It's a lot of suspension of disbelief i think more so than some of the other ones Do you think so i i can't i didn't think it was more so than other ones but tell me why you think so i guess just because it's like king victor and the diamond and a murder and another murder and the memoirs and the, uh, the other prince are all happen to be in the same place yeah you know what i mean like so it's fun and it's silly and it's a spy novel, but it, you know, uh, the mystery itself didn't feel like as much of part of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can see that. And I can see why, like, you prefer the man in the brown suit to this one because it's, like, a better mystery. And I prefer yeah. this one because it's it's more clever writing. But the writing right. is just 
so on point that I don't care what the story is. It's just it's a really it's really well like the way that right. she hits home with like all the descriptions and all the whatever. It's like so clever in that kind of biting you know respectful way that you describe characters. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I just loved it. It's my favorite. And like because I, I told you that and you were kind of paused. And so when I reread it, I was like, nope, it's my favorite. It's definitely my favorite. I just love it. Yeah. And her, because there's a few other ones that are her, you know, spy thriller ones. And they are more like this because there's a follow up that has um, some, it has Chimneys and Bundle and Lord Catterham and Bill. Oh, really? Again. Um, and so there's uh, another one with some of these same characters. And Superintendent Battle. And then, um, uh, so, you know, she, and it is, it's more fun, it's more silly. And then there's more Tommy and Tuppence, and those are more fun and more silly. Yeah. But I think that she got a lot more coverage and a lot more. Yeah, it's interesting because, yeah, because like Murder at the Vicarage, why... if I had read Murder at the Vicarage first, I'd been like, eh, I don't know if I'll read another one. Like, it's fine. It's a mystery, and, like, it's interesting how she wove it together, but the narration of itself doesn't have that clippiness that I like. Right, right. It's not funny. There's not funny little comments on the people. Because there was, like, a lot of, like, these old biddies, but, like, not said in a way that was funny. It was just, like, these old biddies. Right, right, yeah. And it's true. There's so many examples of her just being silly and funny. But, like, yeah. I would say Chimney so far. I'm gonna, I'm gonna... Take a guess. So this is gonna be my favorite favorite of all of them. But maybe I'll be wrong. We'll see. Maybe yeah, if Bundle yeah. comes back, I'm gonna be all in. I don't know. Yeah. Um. So themes. So we've been talking about Anne Lionel narrator a lot. Which again, he is again. Which was like, arg. I just want to yeah. trust a narrator for once. Can you just let me trust a narrator? No. Um, we talked a little bit about classism or ha- not classism, but class depictions and how the classes are, de- you know, shown in this, um, that she obviously had been observing the British class system. Right. Um, and can comment on it from, from a, 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 a perspective where she's really like trying to like see what's going on. Right. Um, and then, uh, but one thing that she didn't do very much in this one was about um, women versus men stuff. No, that she didn't. Come- she didn't spend a lot of time on that. I mean, there was some sort of like, but yes, yeah, so often she'll have like a grumpy old man or Hastings being like, I don't like women like this, but she didn't spend time on that because the narrator liked independent women. Right, And so there was Lord and, so-and-so who was like, I don't like things, but I don't like poached eggs, but maybe I do. I don't know. Bring me back some poached eggs. I don't know. <laughs> right. And it was common. But there was a like, lot less of that sexism. Right. Uh, a lot less comments about, I mean, because the fact that Virginia was single, a widow, um, well off, and just enjoyed life was just okay. Right. And she was her. like, Everybody proposes to me Tuesday and Thursday. I'm independent. I'm a widow. Leave me alone. And like everyone was fine with that. They just kept proposing to her. And like right. you just want to be her. You're just like I just want to be that old widow, or like by old I mean 27, <laughs> who's hot and everyone wants to get with. 
And she's just like, oh, it's so delightful when you propose to me. But don't do it before breakfast. Next time, do it after dessert. And you're just like, I want to be her when I grow up. But also, she's, because the, the way, she's, she's very intelligent. She's, um, yeah, intelligent and independent is kind of just taken for granted, as opposed to, like, she's not accused of being uppity. And the same, the bundle, they comment about the fact that she's a ridiculously fast driver, which, you gotta think it's 1925, so whatever that means right kind of car but if they don't say oh women drivers or anything like that they're just like oh she's because i i got the sense that she's like 18 or 19 and so she's just like because she's a little she was clearly likes virginia a lot but is younger than virginia right obviously yeah and thinks anthony's hot but probably he's a little bit too old for her right um they don't really say but since she has younger sisters that are 10 and 12 right you know right um but anyway but there's a lot less of that kind of commenting on women are supposed to be a certain way because it turns out the the killer was a woman um although we don't really get to know her as a person at all right because she's undercover um so yeah there was a lot less of that theme in this yeah i agree but uh, she doesn't have to do all the time. But it's interesting because she had in the first several books that we read. That right. And that's what I thought was interesting because, like, I was thinking about it from your perspective and the way you're like, they, she always does this, like, love story happily ever after. And I was like, in this case, Virginia and Anthony, we kind of, like, equally admire them. We could see what they're attracted to each other. They get together at the end and you're like, it makes sense. But it's a very like meeting of the equals, yeah. And it's not so abrupt like some of the other ones. I mean, it's still quick because they just met each other on this murder, and it's probably only been a few days. So like, it's still quick. But like somehow, as a reader in this one, I felt less like, oh my god, you guys are ridiculous. Like I was like, oh okay, this makes sense. Like you've been through hiding a body together, you've been through <laughs> finding another murderer together, and you're of a similar age, and like. Turns out you're both ridiculous aristocrats who are just like, right. let's hide a body. Let's be king and queen. Let's do whatever. And like, it makes sense together. Right. And, yeah. and, and when I reread it and I went back and I was like, the first moment they met when he's pretending to be like down and out, like they had chemistry from the first in a way that I think was real. If that makes any right. sense, like in the way that like I think in real life we have experienced that where you're like, I meet you meet somebody and you're just like, they're my people and there's a spark here. But like we get each other in a certain way. And I, I thought that was real. And, the, and the, when they so when the happily ever after, which you sort of like brought up is like maybe an issue of hers. Like, why does every mystery have to end up with like a happily ever after love story? And I was like, but this one works for me. Right, and in contrast to both the man in the brown suit and Murder on the Links, where it's like, I saw him and then I loved him. And you're like, what? Right, no, in this case, she was like, I thought he was cute, and then we hit a body together, and then turns out he's a prince, and then, you know, like, it, I don't know, it, it, like, it just, it seemed to build in a way that would seem more right. believable. Got to know each other. 
Yeah. And it wasn't like you said, it wasn't so desperate and young. Like, yeah, I love him. I'll give him my kidneys, blah, blah, blah. It was just right. like. It was a little bit more mature. And she and... marries him. It was cute because she marries him thinking he's like this, like, vagabond. I don't like traditional work, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, no. she. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I didn't tell you, babe, but I'm a prince. We got to go be king well... and queen real fast. And what, but what's interesting is that he tells her that he was brought up in a trade, but he left it. <laughs> but that scene that when they first meet and she comes out and says, hey, and he goes, Eaton and Oxford, that's what you wanted to know. Right. And those are two elite right. schools. Like, I am of your people. I'm of your people, you know. So that was an interesting yeah no that was very interesting it was a little nod there like yes like eaten in oxford because yes i am of your class we can have this conversation yeah and so yes oh good you went to an elite private school or two elite private schools yeah um so therefore i can trust you and we can hope to hide a body together (laughs) yeah but yeah no i in in this case i bought the love story more because in the case of the man in the brown suit it made me dislike the narrator or made me dislike the you know protagonist right not dislike her but just be like really girl like you don't even know like but in this case i was just like oh right (laughs) It makes sense because yeah. They, but then yeah, maybe again, as a writer, maybe she's getting older, so she's getting more sophisticated with the way she writes love. Versus and, like I met him and then I wanted to just die for him, and you're just like what? And then as we uh, we talked about in earlier ones that it was the next year that her husband asked for a divorce. Uh, so you know her relationship was not going. I well. want to see how she writes love after that. Like I'm very curious to see how she writes love after her well, husband she, does that to her. She gets a lot fewer love stories in the in the novels. Well, good. They don't all have to end in that happy love ending because not everything does in life. Right, like solve a murder mystery and love. Yeah, that's not. <laughs> Yeah, because for a while, so far that's been a theme in every book, not in short stories, but in every book so far, there's been a a love like prologue. Right, right. Or epilogue, I guess. Yeah, epilogue, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not prologue, epilogue. So so some of the same themes that she's had before, but not as um, many. Fun, fun book, kind of all over the place. Um, at least from my point of view, but I can see. And then just, it's funny. It's a funny book. That's why I think it's my favorite. Because, like, it's smart and funny. And, like, you know, I'm a Gemini. I like smart and funny. It's my it's my jam. So I'm just, like, it just, it just literally, like, rereading it. I was, like, yep. Even on, like, the really funny stuff for me, like, it's just, like, watching a show that's good. Like, watching, like, Kimmy Schmidt or, like, Chewing Gum. I was, like, if I can watch it over and over again or read it over and over again, it's still funny. And it gets funnier each time. That just tell me how smart the writing is, and like that's how I felt about this book. So another example. So they uh, very end of the book, they have figured out where the diamonds hidden, and so she describes it. So they've got the police constable digging, and it feels like a funeral. And then they're like, George Lomax is the beneficiary of the will. The battle is the. Um, funeral arrangement or as the undertaker lord catterham 
has that solemn and shocked look that Englishmen assume when a religious ceremony is in progress. <laughs> right? Like, it's hilarious. And then um, they pick up the thing, they find the diamond, and the constable hands it to the... Uh, oh, the constable digs, Mr. Fish picks it up, he hands it to Superintendent Battle, Superintendent Battle hands it to George Lomax, and then George Lomax starts to give a speech. <laughs> and then Lord Catterham, like, is like, can I leave? I gotta leave. Can I go? This, you know, like, George is talking, I have to leave. Like, no, it's so funny. Like, so much of the physical comedy, the way she sets up the scenes physically, like, the Lord just wants to go take a nap. Oh, yeah. He spends an entire morning after they find the body, like, wandering around the estate so that no one can talk to him yes it's so funny yeah. and, I, and I, I did think it was smart of her because like coming right after the man in the brown suit he's so similar to the villain in the last one but i didn't trust it i couldn't relax with him being that i had been like oh god he's a secret mastermind and then he really was this ridiculous lazy character which is what i right. wanted him to be but i had to be like on guard as a reader because last time he was the big bad right. guy right right so like i think it's hilarious i just i really loved it cool wow well i think that's it okay so About next week this. will be the murder of roger Ackroyd. right which is and- a horror one right right okay um yeah and I really like this one, but yeah, of course, it is a very unreliable narrator. But yeah, so that'll be next. And uh, yeah. Um, all right. Well, thank you for listening to us on Pod and uh, processing all of our uh, feelings in this complex time of reading uh, old-timey British novels in a, in a modern era. During the middle of a pandemic and a major um, societal change. 